Hey, I'm Sadie. And I'm Zamier. And this is I Ain't Got Time to Read, a podcast for color folks who have considered doing the readings, but the time in the day wasn't enough. This season, we'll discuss the book, Black Food Matters, Racial Justice in the Wake of Food Justice, edited by Hannah Garth and Ashante M. Reese. Chapter 7, Preserve and Add Flavor, Barbecue as Resistance in Memphis, by Kimberly Casper. This chapter goes into the heritage of barbecue specifically how the contemporary version was originated by the indigenous people of America. It covers the barbecue traditions that are uniquely tied to the black community and have been for generations. The author discusses how whiteness has consumed barbecue, predominantly by backyard bros. Finally, this chapter discusses the implications and erasure created through barbecue becoming an Americanized food. Okay, so this chapter is about barbecue and a few other things. Uh, did you know that the method of barbecuing comes from the words babacoa, um, which is of the, from the indigenous folks of the, in your words, the so-called Americas? <laughs> no, I had no idea before reading this chapter. It was really the origin of barbecue had never crossed my mind. So this was really, really enlightening. Yeah. Does it, does it change the way you consume barbecue or I know you say you haven't really, right? Recently. Yeah. There's, there's no good barbecue in Germany and not going to lie. There's only a couple places in Portland that you could get good barbecue. And so it was, it was really rare um, to eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always kind of like a special occasion, I guess, for me now at this point. And mm-hmm. I've been thinking about eating it again and just how much more respect I would have for it, knowing the history and knowing, you know, how long it's been around um, mm-hmm. and how vital it is to America from the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I prior to like, this chapter and then being in other um, like spaces, I didn't know about the history of barbecue. I think I just assumed it was one of those things that number one, pretty much everybody did mm. because you cook over an open fire. Right. But yeah, and I have so many connections with barbecue and blackness. There is like a legitimate history there. So um, yeah, I was, it was a pleasant it was a pleasant realization. But here, um, there's a lot of like Korean barbecue, or mm. people call it like local barbecue. So many times I was like, oh yes, a barbecue joint, like here, here, here. But then you go and it's like it's just different. It's like mm. great, like teriyaki steak and like rice and and mm-hmm. it's good, but. A barbecue I'm used to. Yeah, it's not Oklahoma barbecue. It's not Oklahoma barbecue. <laughs> yeah. But even when you travel around the US, like even when I went to like different states and I would eat barbecue, I'd be like, what is this? This is not <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are doing over here. So Yeah. Yeah, very different. 
Yeah, depending on where you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess, what is your, what's your favorite barbecue place? Like, where, where at? Where do you oh. go? Yeah. So, here? Um, here or maybe even Oklahoma. Okay, here I'm going to give you the sad truth. I literally went to go buy barbecue yesterday from Whole Foods. <laughs> and they were out and I was pissed. They, like, do they make it on the hot foods tray or do they have, like, a pre-made thing? Like, how do they do it? They, uh, they put it on the hot foods thing. They have a smoker hmm. back in the back or something. The thing what? is, yeah, if they season the meat, mm. it actually, they don't season it. So you get the smoke flavor, but you gotta go home and add a little, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's the best style you can get okay. to. But my hey. when I Oklahoma, there's this place, this place on the east side that I don't even know the name of it. But it's just like a little white rundown hole in the wall spot that has the best barbecue. And I also like Swatley's. Mm, like mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 How about you? And to house me, house barbecue is good. Depends on whose house you go to. Yes. Yes. I was gonna say, yeah, my parents would always do like summertime that they would always be barbecuing. Or I guess technically oh. grilling. I did not know the difference between grilling and barbecuing, uh, before I read this chapter. So that was a realization. My parents grill. But like oh, actual I can't remember. So the define it. So grilling is just when you have meat and you put a sauce on it and you cook it over like charcoal or on a grill. And mm-hmm. then barbecuing is the like a really, really slow process of I think it's more so smoking it than uh, like yeah. you also use the fire, but you and you see it a different way and it takes hours. It's okay. much it's a much slower process than my mom making a hamburger and throwing some sauce on it. Oh, Not bad. It. It's still delicious, yeah, but it know. is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I like barbecue in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think technically I've been to like black events where they were technically barbecuing, mm. but I just assumed that they were just going really slow. But I guess. Right. Like, right. but I guess that was actually part of the yeah yeah I think I was watching that there's a whole um, chef's table series specifically for barbecue on Netflix now and mm-hmm. there's one about a man um, in North Carolina who was you know uh, grew up and was taught the tradition from his father and it was like you know this um recipe that's been passed down and passed down for generations and Mm -hmm. I think he cooks he cooks the meat like overnight and then serves it in the day yeah Mm. so several several hours Mm. yeah yeah I bet that is the best too I bet it's so good I really want to go try it I really want to go try it (laughs) and just thank him like thank you for like carrying on your Mm -hmm. traditions and Yes. Being here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I remember you talking about this series and mentioning um that woman. That yeah, white woman? Yeah. 
There's there's one episode that features a Mayan woman. It's mainly in Spanish. So oh. be prepared for that. But it's also good. Um there's only four shows. It's a mm-hmm. mini series. Um but the other two are white people and I have not sat down to watch them. Got it. Yeah. You know what was what was funny? Um well it's not funny, but over this this past Thanksgiving I spent uh, the holiday at some um, so like Native Hawaiians are called Kanaka Maui or sometimes mm-hmm. people just call just say Kanaka so uh, but I mean anyways I was at some some folks house and we were talking about so uh, like Kalua Kalua pig is huge here like where they cook the pig mm. in the ground mm-hmm. and so um, I was telling them about how we do that too like cook pigs in the ground but like only for super super special occasions but um and we were like trying to find the connections mm-hmm. and we started talking about those those like pit master shows and stuff that you know they, they show on, on tv on like the food network mm-hmm. and um we're talking about like pit masters and stuff and then I just started thinking about how it's always highlights white men Sometimes you'll see like men or whatever, but it's overwhelmingly like a white men type thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it has something to do with um, who is considered like a legitimate practitioner or something. It, it has a lot to do with, I think, power and authority. Right. Do you know? You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Not that those men can't cook, but uh, it's like soaking other people. Yeah, absolutely. I think that show, of course, is just a testament to people's access. You have to travel to get to that competition. You have to pay a fee to be in the competition. You have to take time away from like if you have your business or, mm-hmm. um, you know, your family to go and do that thing. Mm-hmm. And some people just don't have, they don't have the privilege to be able to say, oh, I'm going to take, was it like a week off? to go do this competition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah it, it sucks but then of course those are the ones that get highlighted and featured and I'm sure they get more business and yep. they get that recognition which further enhances that um fake seal of mm-hmm. mastery mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep 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 I'm sure it's good but you know yeah exactly like it's <laughs> but Right. So there's a quote in this book that says barbecue, this white man says barbecue mm-hmm. transcends race and it's everyone's heritage. Mm-hmm. And like given the fact that we got some historical context to where barbecue comes from and then also some insight into the cultural significance for other PLCs, what do you think about that quote? Yeah, I I disagree and just like you I also thought you know barbecue is just something everyone does it's super Mm -hmm. American um before reading this chapter and after I I mean you brought this up before about it's just erasure of indigenous people Mm -hmm. I've watched so many food network shows over barbecue and never once they ever recognized indigenous people as being the first pit masters not once yeah it's it's ridiculous you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the history is not taught Mm -hmm. yeah 
And yeah, I, I mean, American heritage is so complicated. Like, I don't know, to say anything like... belongs to someone mm-hmm. or it belongs to everyone. To say that like anything belongs to everyone just isn't the truth. Like it's all it always comes from somewhere. And I feel like only white I I feel like only white myth says that. Mm-hmm. Because it, it it's not about uh an equal level of sharing. It's about a taking and a stripping you of, you know, whatever context this existed in and then saying that I can have it. And whenever I can have it, it means everyone can have it. And by everyone, I mean, I and people who look like me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What about, what about like people that are just like, okay, it's not that deep. I just want some good food. (sighs) Everything's that deep. Mm. Like I just, that's it. I don't want to say lazy because I also sometimes feel that way when I feel like I'm overexerted my brain. Um, But I also, in many ways, I've been training myself to deal with these conversations more and more. So I am aware Mm -hmm. of that. But Mm -hmm. I think there are a majority of people that just don't want to have those hard conversations. They want to just live their lives as if everything is great and dandy knowing full well it's not and that to me is a little irresponsible Mm. no I mean I agree with you in the uh, I think I think it's kind of layered because on one hand it's like okay I'm not mad at somebody wanting to be like listen I'm just trying to enjoy my life there's a lot of hardship that comes with life trying to get some good this brings me joy and I'm just trying to take that in which I think fair but Mm -hmm. I also think that first of all that's part of what like continues these systems um Mm -hmm. is the like I'm just gonna opt out or I'm just gonna or whatever and um I I think we should dare to look at it and to to different you know capacities whatever your capacity to do in this moment but just to like ignore it or push it away I agree right. I think it's irresponsible and lazy and also yeah. and also it's like it ultimately comes back to your doorstep there is no really like true truly ignoring this that's absolutely right yeah I totally agree with you because every single one of these issues is interconnected if it's yes. not showing up in one way it's showing up in another mm-hmm. yeah yeah someone like do you think your food options and maybe just cultural experience overall would be different if you lived in a predominantly black neighborhood, a chocolate city, if you will. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of the things I've thought about a lot just in the last few years. Um, and when this book brought up chocolate cities, I actually Googled like just the different ones in the U.S. And a chocolate city is any city with a... Uh, I think it's a population over 50% of black people. Oh, so wow. majority of black. Yeah, it's a lot of black people. And there's um, there's several cities. There's a list of about 10 or 15 major cities. Um, and so a couple, of course, are like uh, Washington, D.C., Memphis, Chicago. Um, but, but a lot of them are more in the South. 
um, mm-hmm. which I mean, you know, makes sense. And so, right. yeah, I absolutely. I hope my goal is to live in a chocolate city because Oklahoma Aww. city was not, Portland was not, Germany is the furthest thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, absolutely. I think it would be just, uh, a really unique experience and like to be able to be around black people again, uh, and I say this because Oklahoma is technically the most diverse place I've lived, which is really sad to wow. say. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, cool, I'm just, I'm excited to live by Black people again. Like, I'm ready for it. Like, I know yeah. in my heart, D.C. is my next city. I'm ready. Oh! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think the is DC gonna continue to be a chocolate city? Gentrification. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I I know like three, four people that live there now, and they don't live in you know Washington DC proper. They live in the suburbs. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's definitely an option. You know, I will I will go to where the black people are at this point in my life. I will find them. <laughs> I will seek them out. I feel you. I feel you. I was just thinking about Juneteenth actually last night mm-hmm. and last year there was Juneteenth like uh like I think they call it like a neighborhood barbecue or something like that and it was really fun like mm-hmm. a lot of people were out and like playing music and they had like all these like food stands and stuff and they just had like suggested donations and it was mm-hmm. just really fun and like music and it was cute yeah, you know, at first, uh, actually, when I first moved here at Oklahoma, I was like, man, I freaking miss being around Black people. Even though mm-hmm. I see Black people, it's different to be in, like, concentrated Black spaces. But now that I'm here and starting to, like, get, yeah, just grow relationships and cultivate connections, I'm starting to think that, like, I might like the fact that there's, like, these, like, smaller communities of black people because mm. I think it makes us more motivated to 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 deepen our connection opposed to you know what I mean opposed yeah. to like this is normal right cool that's beauty in that too but I, I do definitely miss some things and the food I think will be a big one mm. makes sense yeah the text mentions uh white women's participation in the cotton slave industry and mm-hmm. talks about the power they were able to wield from that, particularly when their husbands died. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a contrast to what is normally, how white women are typically positioned in this time, because they're usually, um, I don't know, like seen as just passive characters or passive, maybe passive participants, or, mm-hmm. you know, they just get to still exist in this, like, cloak of gentility and like uh benevolence and goodness and you know right. which I think is ahistorical um so so why do you think this is yeah I was surprised when they well I was surprised when they were discussing the white woman just owning their own land and I think the one that they're specifically discussing a woman owns like over 400 acres which is just uh, I can't even fathom how much land that is. Um, I mean, it's just white adjacent. 
you know, like they're, they may not be white men, but they are white women. So Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. think in that time, especially, and it's still that way today, you know, there's a hierarchy of power and they're, they're pretty close to the top. And for some reason they're like slept on, but they have it. They still have a lot of access to be in those spaces, to be in those circles, even if it's not like the very inner circle, they're in that next level. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for them to like be able to have their own farms and own slaves and run them is, it shouldn't have been surprising to read that, but it was when I did, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because like you were saying, they're not as talked up as much. Yeah. I was, I don't know if I, I don't think I told you, but um, a couple weeks ago, I was in a conference and one of the sessions was this white woman. Uh, I forgot the name of the con- the conference because she was so, I don't know, she just made me so irritated. Listen to her talk that I just was like, oh my God. But anyway, mm-hmm. so this is a white woman and she made a couple like really skewed points. But at one point she basically said that um, the, the like, the lie about black men raping white women uh, around um, like Jim Crow and like this heightened, the height of um, lynchings and stuff um, was, you know, like that was a popular thing, like a popular Mm -hmm. lie. Yeah. Yes. And so she was saying that um, basically white men, white men made that narrative and Mm -hmm. white didn't necessarily participate in that Mm. and um so it doesn't make sense for us to have like separation because she went through to list a couple other things because white white men were the one in power crafting these narratives and these um these systems um and so there should be more uh solidarity between white women and uh black people brown folks stuff like that Mm-hmm. And I think to some to some extent, what she said was true. I just don't think that that was the entire truth. Mm-hmm. And it's sure, but I think in everyday lives, our everyday life, and also in a systemic way, we've seen white women leverage whiteness, and therefore, yeah, like forfeit solidarity. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. I. Even if white men created that narrative, I feel like white women still participated in it. So often, because yeah. a lot of them would get caught up in maybe even a consensual relationship. It was just yeah. like, oh, he raped me because, or forbid, you will be seen as somebody attracted to black people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So they specifically brought this up in the chapter because they were excavating in a former plantation site where enslaved African-Americans were living. And it was one that was owned by a white woman. Um, when I read this personally, every instinct in my body said that is something that should not be done. Um, I've seen too many movies, you know, like the mummy where it's the whole point is leave graves alone. You don't go digging, don't dig up, you know, people's lives. And I'm sure for their, historical purposes they said they wanted to learn more about the the culture and what was happening during the times um but me personally i'm very much opposed to this 
Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts when you when you read that? Yeah, my thoughts were. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's a respect thing, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's about not even being allowed rest and the right to 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 stay in place, mm-hmm. um, even in death. And that is very much what um, I think that's a one of the most prominent ways that uh, power dynamics show up is the ability to tell somebody where they're going to go or that they have to go or move people. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, so I think it's disrespectful. I think it's another flex of that power. I think it's inappropriate because there is such a history such a, such a American American Euro history of um, Black, Brown, Indigenous folks being violated to um, you know all under the the banner of education, mm-hmm. even in death, even in death, even in mm-hmm. death, and um, yeah, I just think it's another layer of dehumanization and a flex mm-hmm. of power. So yeah. I think they should folks alone. Agreed. Or if their descendants wanted to properly do a proper burial, you know, I think that's fine. But I don't think that you get to benefit off of, you know, excavating these items. And who's going to profit off of it? Let's be real, you know. These items are going to be in a museum and who's going to get that money in, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was reading something this week about the victims of the move bombing in Philadelphia area the um, yeah how the the museum the local museum philly museum owns their remains and has them on display Mm -hmm. like even their family doesn't get to bury their children like that's just bothers me yeah that's crazy so yeah and there's so many stories like that like that's not it's not a rare thing not it is not that is infuriating mm-hmm. well i think back to the earlier point of like moving people and telling somebody they mm. whether you explicitly say it or you communicate it other ways like you have to move um just on some manifest destiny i'm here now you gotta die or go west type thing right. um, yeah i think that's just firmly the themes are overlapping mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. So. yeah so speaking of gentrification and the people who get pushed out um one of the like, common staples of just poor neighborhoods and more disenfranchised neighborhoods is just like poor nutrition in the school systems also. And there's a ton of research that shows that when there is quality food and then quality nutrition and it's accessible and available for everybody, um, there are fewer like behavioral problems and other like learning issues. Mm -hmm. So do you see that in the theme of um, food sovereignty being connected? Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, personally, I believe that food is a right. You should have access to food. Um, in my radical imaginary world, there wouldn't we wouldn't have to shop for food. Like we would have, you know, we would be have the ability to grow our own food and rely mm-hmm. less on going to grocery stores and things like that. We just we would have access to food in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for the sake of schools, I have seen several cities start changing and several schools go to the, um, you know, free lunches for everyone program. Yeah. And that's vital. And I think they do both breakfast and lunch. Um, and it's sad that it's sad that the schools have to do that because they know that people just don't have access to food. Yeah. And for the schools to finally recognize that and to change, in my opinion, is a great thing. Like mm-hmm. children should never go hungry. No one should mm-hmm. ever go hungry. We have enough. That's the thing. We have enough food to yeah. feed everyone on the planet. I think twice is the statistic. Yeah. Um, so that's never an issue. It's the supply chain. It's big business. It's everything else. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, having access to food is literally a basic human, right? Basic mm-hmm. human need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think accessibility for all is amazing. Like free food for all, free, free mm-hmm. lunch for everybody. Um, I just don't see any harm in that. Mm-hmm. I think that's only a good thing. Um, and I, I just think that it's unfair that so many like schools expect have these expectations of kids to somehow ignore their basic level mm-hmm. needs to mm-hmm. you know education and where you need to focus and you need to you know get this task done for task doing. But if you're mm-hmm. hungry, you're not focusing on tasks. That's just like that's a human thing. Exactly. So exactly. About human decency. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until like <laughs> well into this chapter that I realized this author white. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something that we can't ignore. I know yeah. when I picked up the book, uh, I was just assuming that all the authors would be of color, if not black. Honestly, yeah. and yeah. so uh, you know. Reading this was a little surprising. Um, I like Googled her for a little while and tried to find out some more information, but I didn't. I wasn't able to find much for her. Um, but yeah, it was a little. It was a little surprising when she said, "Honestly, she." There's a point where she started talking about her dad was an engineer, and I was like, "Wow, that's so cool!" She had a black engineering dad, and you know, oh. like she. I was so excited. I was like, "That's so dope!" She probably had like a really cool childhood. I got to do all kinds of little inventions and stuff, um, which she probably did. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, I was thinking like, "Oh wow, he went to a college as a black man, and he was, you know, he probably had to face all these things." Mm-hmm. And then I was like, "Wait, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe she's yeah. white." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, nah. it maybe like I think I went back and reread some of the chapter and just kind of like re got her opinion on it. And I was just like, okay, like 
I get it. It's not did like that you're... delegitimize it for you, or did you have to um, like? Yeah, I think it, honestly it did, and not that I was unable to get over that feeling, but initially it did. I was just a little taken aback. I was just like, mm, mm-hmm. "Are we sure? Mm-hmm. Are we sure yeah. she's supposed to be in here?" <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, a little bit at first, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So much like you, I was a little bit taken aback. I did get some suspicion that she was not black when they when she mentioned how her and her dad would barbecue mm. she was just like yeah we'll just we just bring the meat and we just slap it on the grill and then mm-hmm. like, mother and barbecue sauce so and she definitely wasn't um i do because to be honest of course i don't want to like spend too much of my energy um centering like white perspectives or the white gaze or you know because i feel like we're so surrounded by white supremacy but I also don't want to be a person that just feel like just like that I just completely block somebody's perspective out because they are white mm-hmm. but it did take a little bit away from me like uh, I was definitely disappointed and I also feel like in this book why are you in this book right thank you no. yeah like, yeah oh my, oh my. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the, yeah, at the end of the day, I agree with you on, you know, wanting to also take in other people's opinions. And it it is a really research-based book. There's a lot mm-hmm. of information about just different mm-hmm. topics. And so this person had done a lot of research on barbecue yeah. and therefore was qualified and wrote an overall good chapter and educational chapter for sure. True, so, true, 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 true. Yeah. yeah. So I can rock with it. Yeah, but I think it, it it yeah it's worth noting that she's white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Today's discussion was based on the study guide we created for this podcast. The study guide is free, and if you would like access, the link is included in the show notes. And then we should say like, bye, have a nice day or something like that. <laughs> like a goodbye, you know? Like a Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. We should be like, destroy capitalism. <laughs> 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 Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> do your part. Like, divest from the carceral state. <laughs> Let's do it!